0: This was about as bizarre and as easy as it gets. So the number for me was a number that would allow me to never have to work. I feel like we got top, top, top.
1: I went from a sale of you know five
0: hundred thousand dollars to in debt. One hundred ninety-two million dollars. This is Built to Sell Radio with your host John Warlow. Hey guys, this is John Warlow. This episode of Built to Sell Radio is brought to you by the Value Builder Score. If you haven't got your score yet, I'd encourage you to take 13 minutes and complete the questionnaire you'll find at valuebuilder.com. It'll give you your score on the eight key drivers of company value. You're going to learn some different things about what drives the value of your business. You'll be able to see how you performed on these eight unique factors. Go to valuebuilder.com. Usually on this show, we talk to entrepreneurs who've had tremendous exits, you know, huge multiples, walking away with lots of money in their jeans. Today, I want to do something a little different. In a moment, I'm going to introduce you to a woman named Julie Pickens, who along with her partner Mindy started a company called Little Busy Bodies. And believe it or not, their primary product was called Boogie Wipes. <laughs> Boogie Wipes, if you've ever had a cold for three or four days and, and your nose gets really irritated because you've been blowing it so much with traditional... Kleenexes? Well, that was the problem, the Boogie Wipes. So they, they infused traditional kind of wipes with a saline solution, which made it a lot more comfortable to blow your nose. Hey, someone's got to do it. And in this case, Julie did it. And on the outside, this business was a huge success. I mean, uh, $15 million in annual sales, selling to Target and Walmart and Rite Aid. I mean, big brand name customers. The problem was they had to give up a lot of equity along the way and take on a lot of debt, so much debt, in fact, that when they sold the company to a strategic partner, Procter & Gamble, Julie characterized her exit as a disappointment. And in the spirit of learning as much from losses as wins, I thought I'd introduce you to Julie and her story. So to tell it much better than I can, here's Julie Pickens. Julie Pickens, welcome to Built to Sell
1: Thanks for having me.
0: So, so when I saw the brief on this, the the company name or the product name is Boogie Wipes. Are you kidding me? What what is a Boogie Wipe?
1: Uh, <laughs> I know. We that's the probably the most fun thing about the business when we had it is people love the name. Um, boogie Wipes are actually um, a saline infused wipe that you are used for just what they're called. You know, they're used for boogies for boogers, um, which is kind of gross, but. Uh, the name, we had a lot of fun with it. So basically it's for anytime you have a cold or allergies, um, it really helps to ease, you know, your stuffy nose doesn't get, when you wipe with it, it doesn't leave a sore red nose and it helps to, because of the saline, it helps to break apart the mucus and do a really good job cleaning up your nose. Well, there
0: you go. And now, <laughs> do I, dare I ask how on earth you got into this business?
1: Uh, I know. I, I never, you know, it wasn't like a lifelong dream to go, gosh, I want to be in like the booger business. <laughs> right? Um, but uh, basically we um, started for, you know, my business partner and I at the time um, collectively had three kids each. So six kids with lots of runny noses and lots of allergies. And, um, my business partner actually had dumped some saline on a wipe. Her daughter, Avery was sick and, um, and it cleaned up her nose really well. And she's, I would happen to be at her house and she said, oh my gosh, this is, you know, this really worked. I wonder if there's anything like this on the market. And so we laughed and didn't think much of it. And, um, about a week later we were sitting together having dinner and I said, um, did you find anything on that? And she said, no, I didn't. And I said, neither did I. And she goes, we should call them boogie wipes. I go, that's hilarious. We laughed. And then about eight months later, we had a company that wow. was selling them.
0: <laughs> so what was your business? What is your former business partner's name?
1: Her name is Mindy.
0: Mindy. Okay. So, so were you guys entrepreneurs before? Like, I mean, had you started businesses before?
1: You know, um, Mindy actually had a marketing background, um, had worked for Procter and Gamble and, you know, had gone on to um, start her own small boutique marketing firm in Portland, Oregon. Um, so that was, you know, she had that background. I actually was, um, born and raised in an entrepreneurial family. We were a Miller and wine Miller, you know, Miller and Gallo distributors. Um, it was passed down in my family for years, worked for my family. Um, and then had done, you know, some work with, uh, franchises and things like that. So I definitely had business background and business experience. And so combined, we just were a perfect kind of storm.
0: Got it. And then, so how did you get it? I mean, cause you got to deal with, uh, like, uh you got to find some packaging for that and, and a, and a, minimum order run. Like how did you get the money to sort of get the yeah, first sort of thing going?
1: You know, um, we really kind of bootstrapped it. Honestly. Um, we, friends and family ourselves, we both, um, I had just sold a previous, um, Business and it was a franchise, so I had a little bit of money that I, you know, was willing to invest into something new. Um, and so we both put in, but it's—I laugh about it now because the amount of money we put in, you know, had we known then what we know now, um, I think we each put in about twenty thousand dollars and um, started there. You know, real, hired a designer, did the packaging, um, work to get a manufacturer, and that's always difficult in the beginning. Nobody wants to take on a new product, so had to pay a higher price and you know, deal with, but we finally found a manufacturer who would do it out of Israel, actually. Um, and they, we brought our first, we started in 2008 and like February time is when we really said, let's do this. And we ordered our first uh, half container um, delivered to Portland in October. So really it was very, very quick. Uh, we just kind of pulled it all together and Started, you you know, using social media and things like that, that, you know, you can really bootstrap your marketing efforts too and, and get, you know, stretch your dollars out. So we kind of did everything we could in the beginning to make our dollars work for
0: us. So it was direct to consumer. You weren't trying to get it into Sobe's or y-
1: Yeah, at first it was direct to consumer, um, but very, very quickly, you know, we knew um, we did file a patent. So we, you know, we were IP trying to protect the IP around it, which I think is extremely important to anybody starting something new, especially if it's a consumer product. Um, we also wanted to build our brand equity though, relatively quick, just because there was nothing like it on the market. I mean, we kind of created the category of nose wipes. Um, and so, I mean, wet nose wipes, obviously we're not Kleenex, but, um, and so really we did take it out to retail and mass retail pretty quickly. Um, you know, within, let's see, we ordered our first container. It came in in that October. And by January, we had sold it into Rite Aid into 5,000 locations. So very quickly, I knew that our, you know, $40,000 investment was not going to sustain us and that we would need to raise capital to support inventory and marketing programs and, you know, personnel and all the, you know, you know, typical things that you would use funds for. So, um, about January of 2009, we started to seek out investors and put an investment, you know, to put something out there for investors to look at and to fund the, the company in another way.
0: Got it. And so, so was Rite Aid not willing to pay up front for something like that? <laughs> or do they, you laugh as if that's like even within yeah, the realm of possible. That's a
1: good one. Um, yeah, no, they, uh, pretty much retailers don't lose. They, they don't do anything. You, you basically deliver to them and you hold your inventory and they pay you usually 45 to 60 days terms. Um, so you have a pretty large gap in purchasing your inventory and selling your inventory that you have to fill from a financial standpoint.
0: Got it. So you got this huge order and no way to fulfill it. So you go raise money. How did you value the company?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that was an interesting thing too. You know, you have to kind of future value it on, you know, based on what you're seeing happen in the marketplace. Um, and and it's always it's always hard when you don't have the the sales history. Um, so you value it a little bit on your IP. But of course, we had a patent pending, um, and our IP hadn't you know our IP hadn't been granted yet. So um, so but a combination of the intellectual property behind it, you know where you're going with future sales, what your current sales are, um, what kind of interest you have from a market. You know st- you know we had Walmart looking at us, then we had Target looking at us, then we had Toys R Us and Rite Aid, and so. That really helped kind of propel, you know giving a giving an investor some you, you know a little bit of confidence that that this was a product that was taking off and was, you know interesting enough to retailers to put it on their shelf. I will say though that we were raising money in the economic downturn, which um, you know now today it's so funny because people talk about raising money. And I think if you can raise money back then in that time, raising money today, is is a lot easier. I wish that we were in a different time when we were doing that. So,
0: so you're raising your money in 2009. is it a sort of a friends and family round? You're going to hat in hand uh-huh. to friends, or are you are you raising professional money? We, what was it? The-
1: yeah, we really went out to. Um, I wouldn't say we, you know, went as far as to do. Um, it, it was still kind of friends and family, but I would say it, it was more. Um, trying to think of the right word for it, uh, you know, it it, it was. It was, we were introduced to somebody who wanted to, at the time, diversify their funds. And so, you know, we were very lucky to find the investor that we did at the time. And, um, you know, it didn't cost us a lot of money. It, we didn't lose a lot of the company. You know, it wasn't really like going out to the sharks and, and doing something like that. How, how was, much
0: of the company did you have to give up?
1: We gave up about 32% of the company in the Series A round of financing that we did.
0: Got it. So, and, and then yeah. what did you, how much did you raise? We raised $1.8 Wow, that's a that's an amazing amount of money given given <laughs> the age of the business, right? So
1: Yeah, and let me clarify. A million of it was an equity raise and 800,000 was um, a debt raise, but same investor. So, so we just split the investment.
0: Okay. And how does that work with the debt raise? So uh, equity, I, I sort of get. Um, when you say eight hundred thousand in debt, I mean, it, was it convertible debt? Like, what? What did it, that, go ahead. you
1: know? It wasn't convertible debt. It was really just an interest. You know, we just paid interest on it and paid it off over time. So what, we really, it was just like a loan.
0: And what was the rate on the on the interest?
1: At the time, I believe it was a three percent. So, so it's still I mean, pretty low. That, Yeah, it was pretty low, but I mean, but yet enough where, you know, the investor was making a, a, you know, at that point in the market, that was a pretty good return.
0: And the 800 grand, what if you had defaulted on that loan?
1: Uh, we would have lost the company. I mean, yeah.
0: (laughs) So that, that investor would have owned the entire company. What about your homes? a larger
1: portion of it, you know, maybe not the entire company, but yes, I mean, we, it it was risky. I mean, we definitely took some risks to get, to push the business forward and, um, you know, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of, you know, really pushing hard to make this work.
0: So what would have happened, um, if you defaulted on the 800 grand, did, I mean, did you have a personal guarantee as well? So he or she could have actually taken some of your personal we, assets?
1: We did. It was a limited personal guarantee, but we did have some personal guarantee behind it. We so did.
0: What is a limited personal guarantee? I'm not familiar with that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't, um, we had certain things that they that we could attach to it, and then other things that they couldn't touch. So um, if that makes sense, I mean, there was a little bit of things that we had to protect from we both had families and, and but it was still very scary. I mean, yes, they could have they could it would have drastically affected our life had we defaulted on that note from a personal and business standpoint.
0: Yeah, but 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 it didn't you you obviously did the deal. And, uh, and so take us through the next step. So you've got a a, now a sort of a silent partner, not an operating partner, He, he or she was sort of in the background. Is that right?
1: yeah very silent partner um and uh we basically formed a board that he sat on and we had um a couple other financial advisors on the board um and then my business partner and myself at the time um we basically met quarterly with the board and really discussed strategy and you know financials and where we are you know where we were um why, and why did you so, create a board you know i i think that it was important not only for our investor just to have um you know some sort of um, touch point, you know, that, that he could come in and, you know, sit with all of us, um you know, it's also it's always good to, in some respects to create a board because you're putting smart people around you um, that can really help you drive and guide the business in areas that maybe you might not be familiar with. Um, you know, just protection for everybody, I think, and also just to really push something forward. You know, your skill set might not be something that somebody on the board really brings to the table.
0: Yeah, um, no, I get that, but I, I'm just trying to get a sense of so you you had it was you and Mindy and this investor, so the the three of you guys were on the board. Um, but you brought in other people, um, take me through that. we,
1: We did. We had two other, um, people on the board. One was our CFO, um, who just very, was very integral in the money raised piece of it. Um, you know, really helped me with financial modeling and, you know, strategizing the business. I worked with him hand in hand from the day we started Boogie Wipes from literally in a Starbucks coffee shop to the day we sold it. And so, um, he was just a really good, um, sound voice on the board that, um, that I trusted. And that's always really important too. I mean, you know, somebody that you trust, that's smart, that has your best interest at heart. Um, and then we also had somebody on the board that was very, um, just a very good, had a lot of business, you know, acumen behind him. Um, very, uh, lot of experience in the business world and could just bring his own kind of, Um, expertise to us as far as, and he was actually a really good kind of business coach, I would say too. Very good at talking through problem solving. If something was disagreeable with people, he could really wear that hat and really kind of get us all on the same page. So yeah, so that's, I mean, our board happened to work relatively nice from that standpoint.
0: Got it. I mean, your, your your investor was obviously incentivized because he was he was sort of protecting his equity. You of and you and Mindy you obviously had lots of skin in the game. How did you compensate the advisor that was independent, totally independent?
1: Um, he actually um, was given um, some shares in the company, and really that was it. I mean, and it was a very small amount, and. Honestly, um, the person that, his name is Mike Sullivan, wonderful man. Um, And I think really kind of did it more. He, he just is one of those people that we were lucky enough to find a long term, you know, friend of mine that I've known in our family forever and really just has kind of people's best interest at heart. He, he likes to help small businesses. He likes to kind of coach and do that. So we were very fortunate to find him and have him be able to come on board with us.
0: Got it. So you've, you've got Mike as your guide, you're, you're building the company. Take us to the the, the point where in 2012, you made some partnership or, or divestiture, maybe talk us through that, that sale piece.
1: Yeah. Um, so in 2012, um, we were, you know, a little, we were growing very fast. And I think that was one of our, you know, it, it's always, you know, a blessing and a curse um, to have that happen and um, growing very fast, uh, picking up retailers, you know, anybody who's played in a retail game with a consumer product knows that it's, it really is an expensive um it's just, it's just an expensive way to do business. Um, retailers, like I said, don't don't typically lose. It's You really have to be on top of it to watch your margins and to make money. And I think that our growth was, um, we really needed to bring in more money to sustain our growth, honestly, and especially at the trajectory of how we were going. Um, at that time, it was a little bit unfortunate, and I think I would always caution people. Um, we had... Um, sort of an issue with my business partner um, in the company and where she needed to step down, um, life and business kind of collided on her and got a little bit um, hairy for her. And um, it was just kind of a tumultuous time. And so she stepped out of the company at that point. And, um, and you know, I was in the CEO role at that time and managing it and trying to figure out the growth and what we were doing. Our investor at the time was, you know, ready to kind of get out to our series a investor. So basically at that time in 2012, our series a investor and my existing business partner at the time, um, were both, uh, bought out of the company by Nehemiah manufacturing. And that was in 2012. I went on to, um, maintain my interest in the company. And I moved with a company to Cincinnati, Ohio, where they were located. And we merged with their, with their company at that time.
0: Got it. So many questions that trigger. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you were kind of very delicate in your description of Mindy and, and some of the life and business. So maybe get us, help us understand something happened in her personal life that made running the company impossible.
1: Yeah. Um, I think really for Mindy and I, I don't like to speak for her. Um, but, but one thing I will say is, and she has a book out now too, that's wonderful. And if you're a mom in business, you should definitely read it. Um, I think for her, it was really, um, more about just managing, you know, being a mom and life and how fast this business was moving and how, um, really it was demanding. And it was when, you know, she, my children were older, Um, and I was just in a different place than her and we're very different as people too. So I think for her keeping up with, you know, that just kind of rat race, I hate to say it, but it was, it's a lot. Anybody who starts a new company knows, I mean, it can really kind of take over your life and it's very, very hard to find a work-life balance, especially when you have young kids. And I think it just got to be where it was just too, it was too much. And, um, and so, she really needed to take a step back and kind of and evaluate that. And um and she talks a lot about that in, you know, in her book about managing just life and family and business and what's where are your priorities. And her priorities were, you know, in a different place than maybe mine were at that time. Um and and that and that's okay. So that's kind of and she can speak way more to that and has some really great stories about that. So um but that's kind of where we were at with a business partnership.
0: Got it. And I know uh, you guys were friends in the beginning. And and, and so you, that must have been difficult for you. I'd love to hear from your perspective, um, wearing, you know, kind of your hat. What was what was what was in the shareholders agreement uh, that you had with Mindy? To, like, did you have did you ever contemplate drafting the shareholders agreement that one party might want to step down? And was there provisions to yeah. sort of tackle that?
1: Yeah, I think we were you know, everything was in our shareholder agreements like that. So, um, that was where our board really was able to help us too. Um, you know, Mindy and I, you know, are friends and, um, and anytime you have a business, business partnership like that going into it, you know, she would say the same, I would say the same, make sure that you do have, things written in place that kind of protect people from many, many things that can happen in a business partnership. But one person wanting to step back down, one person needing to step down, maybe, you know, maybe not wanting to, but needing to, um, uh, you know, we definitely had those things and our board definitely was instrumental in, in kind of stepping in and helping me navigate that because it it was hard to navigate. I'm not going to lie. It was hard.
0: So how did you guys, I mean, how did you, how did you deal with it practically? Did you have like a, sometimes partnership agreements have sort of a, like a shotgun agreement? Um, or, or was there a a provision to kind of value the company and what, like, how did you, what was the mechanics around that? If, if one wanted to leave?
1: Yeah. Um, I think, you know, in in any agreement like that, yes, I mean, there, there are valuation, you know, premises around stuff like that, where you know how to value the company, or, you know, does one person have to sell if they want to step out, and we, you know, you, we didn't have that in ours, just because she stepped out doesn't mean she had to sell, Um, and so there were, you know, all kinds of provisions, and in ours, um, it just, you know, really, basically she was, it was set up to protect both of us. If something like that were to happen, kind of short of the long answer there, but. So how did that,
0: I mean, did you you ever feel like you were kind of left holding the bag?
1: A lot. I did. Yes. (laughs) Um, It was hard. And I know it was hard on her too. It's a really hard thing to talk about. And so I'm trying to do my best with, you know, discussing this, but it's, um, I think we both really suffered from it. Um you know, she did from a standpoint of walking away from something that was very important to her and, and feeling like, you know, maybe decisions were made that weren't exactly how she would have wanted them to go down from my standpoint. Um, you know, it was very hard for me because I care about her and, you know, but I am left to do a lot in the company. I mean, I, I really was very integral in, in driving the company and doing those things and having, there were times I really did feel overwhelmed and, you know, um, it, it was, it was a lot to, to anybody who starts a company and it grows as fast as ours did knows that it's, um, it's a lot to manage on a daily basis. And when you're trying to do it after she had, you know, was after she was no longer with the company. Oh, it was definitely a lot harder and required so much of my time. And of course my family did take a hit for it and it took a toll on me and our family and everybody just because it was so demanding.
0: I can imagine that being that being difficult. How long was it that between uh, Mindy announcing she was leaving to you getting like Nehemiah coming in and and buying you that that equity? Um,
1: gosh, I'm trying to think of that time span in there. Um, I would say it was maybe a year, maybe eight months to a year after she um, stepped down from her position. Um and then we were you know the you know we were uh, looked at by being bought out by Nehemiah.
0: Got it. And so Nehemiah came in, maybe walk us through that. How did you how did yeah. you I, I don't I've never heard of Nehemiah, maybe I'm just ignorant they are they a, they're a big manufacturer, is that right?
1: Yeah Nehemiah actually is a company that's based out of Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, they are I for the lack of a better way to describe what they do, they're kind of a um a P&G, Procter & Gamble sort of um, house where they take over brands that are too small for P&G to continue with. Um, and But yet there's still quite a bit of you know, traction there from a company, you know, from a brand that could do well. So P&G has a lot of external partners is basically what they're called. Nehemiah is one of them. Um, and they basically will license brands from P&G and then run them as their own. So um, they, at the time, had just actually were a relatively young company too, with a premise behind them. Um, Nehemiah actually is a book in the Bible. That's what their um, company name is named after. And um, they, basically, I guess that
0: religion reveals <laughs> yeah. a little bit about <laughs> having, my some religious standing.
1: Some <laughs> people don't. <laughs> so um, basically, they started Nehemiah with really a purpose to um, grow brands and to kind of give back to people in their communities. So. They, they're manufacturing, they do soft manufacturing, which means like pack out, they run like where they'll bring stuff in and box it, package it, you know, label it, do all kinds of things like that. Um, and they hire people in Cincinnati that are hard to employ. Maybe they have a felony record. Maybe they're a recovering drug addict, um, but would really have a hard time getting a job in mainstream. They actually hire those people to work within Nehemiah on their manufacturing lines. And they kind of give them another shot at life. And, um, it's a very, really admirable thing that they do. They have an onsite social worker. They've got, you know, all kinds of support set up internally within their business structure to help these people kind of get back on their feet. And I love their business model. I really, as far as that standpoint, um, you know, then what they do is they take on these brands and that's their revenue stream. And it really, um, they're not nonprofit. They they do run for profit, um, but just the way they do it and how they give back to their community is really admirable.
0: Got it. So, so maybe talk us through how you how you how you you attracted them as a potential acquirer and then how the actual uh sort of negotiation went
1: yeah um really they kind of came to us we didn't come to them um what had happened is that P&G was interested and we you know once you have your you know intellectual property and your patents are tied up and stuff and you know where we were at with revenue you do sort of become a little bit of a um, you 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 start being watched by some of the big boys out there. And, what was, what you know, was the
0: revenue at the time? Uh,
1: we were about fifteen million, and so um, we were kind of starting to get watched by Kimberly Clark, P and G um, Novartis, some of the large manufacturers out there, because obviously we had created a very niche product that had taken off and we really created this new space and that's not always easy to do. So I think we had, you know, captured some attention from some of these big boys. Um, yet, you know, in their brains, we're still a very small brand, um, you know, at 15 million, they run, you know, hundred million dollar brands. And so, um, basically we had, one of the things that happened was that P and G had reached out to us, um, they were very interested in our technology on the Puffs brand of tissues. They wanted to use our saline-based um, formulas to actually um, license and work and bring a wet wipe to market under the Puffs brand. So that's how the whole thing sort of started. Um, and once we got into talking to PNG and they were looking at our patent strength and things like that, they um, introduced us to Nehemiah and said, "Listen, you're a small brand." We would love to do this deal with you to bring, um, you know, to really expand on what you're currently doing and take it into the adult market because we were playing in the children's market. And in order to do this, you know, we'd like you to look at this external partner of ours and maybe become better capitalized. You know, right now you're a little undercapitalized to do what we want to do. They could probably help you from a capital standpoint. um, You know, if you're, you know, and so you should just start talking to them. And so really it was P&G that kind of introduced us to Nehemiah.
0: Got it. And so you've got this $15 million business. You've got two shareholders that presumably want their money back or money out, Mindy and, and the original investor. Maybe walk us through the negotiation. I mean, did ne- Nehemiah come in, and put an offer on the table for their equity and say, we'll we'll buy them well- out for this?
1: Well, I think yeah. I mean, it wasn't that easy. Um, You know, lots of negotiation, lots of back and forth, valuations on the company. Um, You know, we looked at a couple different valuation models. How do we do it? Um, How how do
0: you value a business like that?
1: You know, there's a there's a lot of ways to value a company. I think you know, really, it's either you know off of EBITDA or uh, you know top line revenue, and so they really kind of, um, valued ours off of EBITDA mm-hmm. and, um, and how they looked at it, which was a harder, that's how they started. That's not where we got to in the end. Actually, in the end, we did end up doing it off of, um, revenue, but, um, basically to kind of back up for a second, what happened is, is that they knew what I was kind of doing in the company. And, and after first, you know, introducing to Nehemiah and doing this with P and G, they really did not, they were not interested in all in having me leave the company because I think at the time all three of us probably would have gotten out myself, Mindy, and our investor. Um, but unfortunately for me at that time, um, they I, it wasn't an option to have me leave the company, they wanted me to come with the company and they wanted my expertise, my background. They wanted to, you know, my they really loved the mom angle that I had and being able to talk to buyers, and I had gotten pretty. Um, tight with, you know, all of our Walmart buying partners and target buying partners. And I just knew the manufacturing process very well. And I, ha- I knew the IP and the chemistry behind the wife, And so for me, they wanted me on a contract for three years. So I had, that was a really big philosophical thing for me. I was like, okay, in order to do this, I have to pick up myself, my family, my three daughters, we have to move to Cincinnati. Um, I have to commit to something for three more years, you know, and, a, and, you know, all the way across the country. You know, where we have no family, no nothing. And, you know, how, how does this look for me and work for me? It was a very stressful time. Um, And, but in the end, I decided to go ahead and do it. And they ended up only, um, you know, buying out Jeff and who was the initial investor and my business partner. And then I ended up moving with the company um, and staying on with the company.
0: Wow. So, so if I I was feeling resentful towards Mindy, like before the deal, (laughs) now I'm feeling really resentful because you're writing a check and walking off into the sunset and leaving me not only holding the bag for my company, but now I've got to move my family. Are you kidding?
1: and And, and, and really to back it up, however, I wasn't that resentful because honestly our company was not at a point where we were hugely profitable. So for Mindy, the buyout wasn't, um, as, as good as, you know, it, it, you know, she had wanted it to be at that time. I mean, and so I would say it was kind of six in one half dozen, the other, I mean, part of me rolled the dice to see where the company was going to go from a profitability standpoint in the next three years, which it could have gone, ter- it, it, you're right. It could have gone really bad. It could have gone really good. I mean, it was definitely a roll of the dice. Um, and so, but I, I did not feel bad about it. Honestly, I felt stressed out about it. And, you know, and like I said, cause it was a roll of the dice, but I also, you know, there was also room for, you know, growth and stuff outside of that. So, you know, it was kind of a 50, 50, which way do you go? Got um, it. Yeah. So it wasn't terrible. And I really didn't hold any resentment. And, um, I wanted, you know, the best for her and the best for me and the best for our investor too at the time, and so that's the deal we tried to put together was, which was good for everybody. tried tried to make it good for everybody.
0: Yeah, and so you mentioned that uh, Nehemiah started uh, trying to use a multiple of EBITDA. Kind of roughly, what multiple of EBITDA were they were they suggesting?
1: Um, about a five or six times EBITDA.
0: Right, and yeah. and. And so you guys, one, were...
1: time, one times revenue is where I thought that was going to be your next question. Yeah. You <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of where we were at with valuation.
0: Yeah. And how did you feel about that as an offer?
1: Um, you know, I would have loved to have gotten more, honestly, and I would have loved to have gotten more for, you know, um, my investor and, you know, for Mindy too at the time. So, you know, it's kind of, again, it it was just the market was just coming out of, you know, sort of the recession and, you know, the company, like I said, wasn't hugely profitable. Every penny that we made in the company in the first five years really went back into growing the company. And we still had debt in the company. We were still in that trudging along, really doing well from a branding standpoint and building a brand, but we still weren't hugely profitable at that time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah. And, it, and that's pretty common. I wouldn't say that that's uncommon in a in a company of that size. so
0: No, certainly going through the distribution channels you were going through and and uh, growing yeah. at that rate for sure.
1: It just takes time.
0: So, you know, I've never, we've never done this. This will be like our 100th episode of Built Cell Sell Radio. And I don't think we've ever done a partner buyout like this where one partner gets sort of liquid and, and other partners don't. So how did how did Jeff and Mindy react to the valuation Nehemiah put on the business? I mean, were they happy to ride off from the sunset? Were they disappointed? Mm, like what was dis-, dis
1: Disappointed, I would say. Yeah. Um, I mean, n- made whole for sure. Um, which is always good. Um, but, but, you know, I think, I think everybody always wants it to be more and, you know, um, so I think that, that, you know, there was some disappointment in where the business was and where the valuations came in at that time for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so were they forced to accept it? I guess that depends on how did you guys structure the decision? That's
1: a, no, not, no, nobody was ever forced to accept anything. No. Um, it it just, but it just got to a point in negotiations where it kind of was what it was. And, and, no deal was going to happen without me going. So we all had like a role in this, if that makes sense. Like everybody kind of had to do, everybody had to kind of take what they could get and include, you know, all all of us did and kind of go, okay, the, the downside of this is we are undercapitalized otherwise. What do we lose? Do we lose more by not taking it or by taking it? If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, cause we were kind of at a point where, you know, we would have had to have brought more capital in, regardless um just to sustain the growth of the company or we would have had to you know so we were kind of at a crossroads to be honest with you there was like no really good easy answer at that moment
0: mm. yeah yeah that's tough for sure and
1: it was tough it, it really was on all of us it and was,
0: how how did mike play a role in was he mike still was, on the board at the time
1: he was and he was fantastic i mean very caring individual who wants the best for everybody and you know really talked me through a lot of stuff at that time i think you know was played a really large role in just going this is where you're at guys these are the decisions um you know we did have another advisor i forgot about charles we had a, we did have another advisor on our board too um that was in on the negotiation piece of it as well he had been an advisor to our first our first um, investor to our series a investor so he played a little bit of a role there too in you know, hopping on board and trying to kind of negotiate. Um, it was not always easy. Not everybody agreed not as, which is very common. Um, Mike, however, always took a stance of being such a neutral, fair, great, you know, person to bring to the table to go, look guys, you know, this is the reality of it. And, and I understood the reality of it, I think better than anybody because I was so close to it because I had been really, inundated in it. I mean, to the point where barely had a life of my own, I was so inundated into
0: it. What was the most contentious deal point?
1: Um, Meaning like what kind of, what, what do
0: you mean by that? Exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, what were the most, so they they put an offer together, Nehemiah put an offer together Mm -hmm. that, that insisted that you stay on and and the three-year contract. Was there, was there a deal point that was particularly difficult to kind of get through? What was it the valuation primarily, or were there other points, uh, you know, sometimes it's comes down to like when the cash can come out or the role of the founders, like those sorts of deal points tend to be can be yeah. really sticky for people.
1: I think a couple of the points were for me, I was really concerned about, you know, moving to Cincinnati and making sure that I was that I was going to be okay. I mean, here I am taking my family and moving them. And so my contract with Nehemiah, as far as my portion of it, having to move out there and be a portion of what we were moving forward was very ironclad because I was taking a huge risk by leaving everything I know and moving. So that took a lot of time to negotiate was my contract on the back end. The other thing that was really difficult is, um, and we haven't touched on, is that we had a wonderful staff um, and probably 12 of us all together um, in Portland that was running this. It was very, very dedicated, um, loyal as can be, worked so hard. And I really tried my very hardest to take as many of them with me as I could and have them work remotely in Portland. Um, and I, I very much fought that, uh, for, you know, quite a long time in all of the negotiation. And I ended up taking one, two, three, four, five people with me that got to work remotely. And I was very, very, very pleased with that. Um, cause that's not easy to do. Normally they just want to wipe that clean and, um, I was able to maintain five of our current employees that had been with us since the day we started.
0: Got it. So you had this contract and you kept all of your equity in then?
1: No, I lost some equity. Um, no, no. <laughs> um, I went from about 33% down to under
0: 20%. Okay. And so mm-hmm. to help, take me through that. So, so you went from owning a third of the company to Mm -hmm. about 20%. Yeah.
1: I was definitely minority interest, you know, not that I wasn't always a minority interest, but, um, uh, but went down further, um, and just had to do it to structure the deal and make it happen. I mean, I just was forced to do that. So, um,
0: so what did you own 20% of?
1: I had a 20%, um, interest in, we kept, the companies were separate. They kept LBB. They, they didn't, we shared back-end office and we shared, so they purchased out, so it was still in Little Busy Bodies, our parent company that I owned the 20% in. And so, um, but we set it up as a profit's interest, if that makes sense. And, it, and I could get into that, but it gets a little convoluted. So I don't, I don't know how much we want to really get into that, but it was all in how we structured the deal and how we made it work. As you can tell, it was a very complex deal.
0: So Nehemiah owned eighty percent of Little Busy Bodies, which they was did. the which was the kind of parent company to the uh-huh. product Boogie Wipes. Yes, got it.
1: And so, so yeah, so I definitely took a hit in ownership too, and and that's why my back end agreement was so important to me because walking, you know, moving across the country, working on a salary, a fixed salary, and being having new business partners that I you know didn't know very well, um, making sure I was very protected, and that if I ever wanted out, that I had something left to sell you know, um, was, was really important to me. And, and given that could have been nothing anyway, because we, at that point, you know, you never know how the company is going to perform.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so did you, I mean, what they always say, the worst thing in the world is being the minority shareholder in a privately held business. Cause there's no liquidity. How did you, how did you assure yourself that there would be some liquidity? Did you have some put options or something?
1: We did. It was all contractual. So basically everything was written in upfront. Um, our, my attorney, uh, Carl Loeffler, who we worked with forever did a very nice job of making sure if I was going to take the risk and stay in that, you know, that I did have an out clause. So um, they, you know, at the end of my three-year term, I could, they had, a, they had a certain way that they had to pay me out and I would, and it could be, and I was liquid at that point.
0: Okay. And, and mm-hmm. so, so that was referred to as an out clause. So as long as you mm-hmm. did your three years worth of penance, then, mm-hmm. then you could, yep. <laughs> you, you could,
1: <laughs> I could get out.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and then what was that a predetermined number or was it a percentage no, of sales was, or was it? it? Was,
1: yeah, it was all percentage based. So yeah, it was not predetermined.
0: Got it. So, so yeah. it, it, you still were incentivized to grow the business Absolutely. under new leadership, and yes. then it was on yep. kind of a percentage of the sales.
1: Absolutely. Yep.
0: Got it. So, how did it how did it all go? I mean, three, you you spent three <laughs> years. Is that right?
1: Yeah. So, um, I actually believe it or not was able. I left in two years. I didn't stay my whole three years. Um, I I will tell you, it went pretty good. Um, I think as good as can be expected, um, moving across the country and, you know, partnering up with people that you don't really know that well. Um, I really loved their, um, philosophy, like I said before, as far as how they ran their company from a giving back standpoint, it was very, um, it it was just a really neat thing to be involved in. So I loved that. Um, the one thing that I will say that I really missed, um, and was extremely hard for me was, that I was the only female in upper management in the company all the other females in the company were largely in admin roles. Um, it was a fairly Midwestern male dominated company, um, which I was just not used to. I mean, boogie wipes, we only had two male employees and we always hired moms that were very well educated that had maybe taken time off to go, you know, to raise their kids, but wanted to get back into the industry. We had flex work hours. We had, we just really set things up to have a culture that was so conducive to what Mindy and I wanted it to be, even though it didn't always appear that way for us, it was definitely that way for our employees. Um, and that was just important to me and that whole culture changed. Um, and it was very, very difficult. The CEO of Nehemiah, um, and I did not always see eye to eye. I'll be totally honest. Um, didn't always agree with his philosophy on how he treated people and the way that he did business. Um, but not that it was good, bad, wrong or anything. I just didn't always agree with it. Um, and, um, so I think after two years, him and I kind of have the lack for a lack of a better way. And you'll laugh at this, but kind of a coming to Jesus. And, <laughs> uh, I said, you know, I, cause he's like, do you want to stay on and maybe partner with Nehemiah? And, um, you know, that was always kind of when I first started, it was like, wow, we'd love to have you and partner and you should come into Nehemiah and we should just roll these companies together. And, in the back of my brain you know how you're always thinking like it's like that boyfriend that's like we should get married and you're thinking yeah i don't think so um and so i'm like i never really kind of thought that it would go that direction and two years in i knew it wouldn't and i think he could kind of sense it at that point too and literally we sat down over coffee one morning and i said i don't want to do this anymore and i said i i'm tired and and he said i i don't blame you i i agree I don't think our personalities are conducive to working together because we don't have the same philosophies. And we shook hands and we, and I left the company and it took about three months and we wrote up the deal and they were gracious enough to honor my contract and let me out in two years and walked away. And I think it was good for them and it was good for me.
0: So the honoring of the contract, meaning you, you got, they, the, the, they let
1: me out of it early.
0: Right. So the, the percentage of sales sort of payout that you were hoping for after three years, you were able to exercise after two. Exactly. Yes. Got it. So you didn't walk away empty handed. You were able to exercise the, the contract that you had. Yeah.
1: I mean, and it's funny because people always say, you know, oh my gosh, you must have just made a fortune. You, I mean, Boogie Wipes is a brand that people know and people are always very, you know, even for Mindy, it's great because I mean, she was a very integral piece of Boogie Wipes and Boogie Wipes would not be where it is without her. Um, and so, you know, she's been able to use the name and go off and kind of start new things and do some stuff that's been really interesting. And for me, you know, um, it's been funny because people are always like, oh my gosh, you must have just, you, you know, you sold Boogie Wipes. You must have just made, I think people think you should be laying on a beach somewhere. And it's just not like that. I mean, it was a, it, the, I would say, out monetarily, I would say the biggest benefit of me doing boogie wipes and, and having that experience for those eight years was what it gave me to move forward with, um, as far as from a standpoint of business knowledge and manufacturing knowledge. And, and yes, I didn't walk away without anything. I did, you know, I did make some profits on the company, but it, it, it I wasn't like not going to ever work again leaving boogie wipes. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, but, I feel like I'm in a really good place. I, I, you know, I have a lot of knowledge. I have a lot of branding knowledge and I know how to, you know, work with retail and I, you know, especially manufacturing and setting up business and pitfalls telling people, Oh, do this, don't do that. Um, you know, from that standpoint, it's invaluable. Um, and you know, I was able to go on and, and, and really do some other interesting things, which has been really fun.
0: What a, what a story. I mean, if you had it to do over again, I I mean, going all the way back knowing sort of what you know now, is there one thing you might do differently?
1: Um, oh, there's probably a million things I would do differently. I think it's hard to nail it down to one thing, but I would guess I would say, um, you know, I probably would look at business partnerships differently. Um, And even though, you know, we did have the right documentation in place, nobody can prepare you for the emotional turmoil that it takes on you when a business partnership kind of breaks up or goes goes a different direction. So I just think I would have thought about that more clearly and and really kind of known, you know, maybe um, I wish somebody could have told me the workload and how much it was going to take from me individually and as a person and for my life and for my family and Um, And what it does to your relationships and things like that. Um, There's been a lot of good that's come out of boogie wipes, but there definitely has been, you know, some bumps and bruises for sure. And I think that knowing those ahead or being a little bit more, being able to think through those ahead a little bit would have been great for, for me, I think.
0: It sounds like you had, I mean, you hear about these partnerships where there's not even an agreement in place. It's like you know, Ugh. back of the napkin, back yeah. slap, take a shot. And, and I would
1: never do that.
0: You, so it sounds like you, you did have some thoughts, uh, that went into your agreement. It's, it, it was did. certainly written in, you know, on a document. Was,
1: yeah. Um, was, um, I guess it's more the emotional side of it. And, you know, I know business years, people always say, take the emotion out of business and, you know, you can try, but, it can be emotional. And when things don't go the way that you want it to go and, you know, even for yourself or for others, it, it does, it, it, it takes a toll. And I think people just don't think about that going in. And so I think when you decide to form a partnership just seems so, you know, perfect. And, you know, people always go, Oh, I'm going to work with my best friend and do this. And I think, you know, you really have to think, okay, think ahead. Okay. If, if it didn't work out exactly how you both wanted, what would that look like for you? And I, I think that, that just a little more thought around that. And if I could ever advise people on that is think through that, you know, and think through who you go into business with and does it, do they line up to how you are and does it work? And, and even if they don't, you know, what, you know, play out the what ifs, just play out the what ifs.
0: Would you go so far as to say you should not start a business with a friend?
1: No, I wouldn't. I actually wouldn't. Um, I think that that can be a really cool thing, and sometimes two minds are so. And and really, for Mindy and I, our brains together worked very well. I don't think that Boogie, Boogie Wipes would have been what it is if we didn't have our brains together on it. So, um, I wouldn't go as far to say that. I I would go as far to say just make sure that you understand that you know things can happen.
0: I'm lost into the point though, because I, I you know, like I hear you. So you're saying uh, you went into business with a friend. You're not saying don't do that. So but you had an agreement. So you did the everything, right. I'm not sure how thinking it through from the standpoint of, uh, I guess, yeah.
1: well, I think sometimes people, let me see if I can be more clear. I think sometimes, you know, of course, you know, you want to have the agreements, you have to do all that. You have to button it up. But but I think what people don't realize is if something goes the way that maybe you don't anticipate or the way that you don't, even though you have the agreements in place, you know, just because you have an agreement in place doesn't mean if you have to execute on it that it doesn't make it hard. And so and and you know, and like I never would have thought, you know, not having a business partner in the end, um, you know, the workload that I took on because of it. you know, I think at the time you think it'll be fine or you know something work out. And I think I just think it's always important to think through not just the business side of it. you have to do that. You absolutely have to, and you have to have your documents in a row, but think through things that, you know, just might affect you emotionally or, or things like that when it comes to working with a partner and especially if the partner is a friend.
0: Mm-hmm. That's and have, more it, what I. Mean. If you had thought those things through better, would you have done more than think about them? Would you have sat down with Minnie and say, if this happens, yeah, are we going to be cool? Yeah.
1: Or? I think maybe having more of those conversations and, you know, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe you just n- nailed it on the head is, Hey, this could get hard. I mean, what if you had to step out or what if you were forced to step out or what if I was forced to leave? What if I got sick? What if I was, you know, how would that affect you? I mean, really just take, take the extra hour. (laughs) I know it's a lot more than that, but take that time to just really sit back and think about it. Um, you know, what that might look like or how that might affect your family or yourself or, you know, um, and, and not to say that you do anything different, but maybe if you could just, be a little bit more prepared or equipped
0: well said julie where do people find you now what are you where what are you applying all these smarts and experiences (laughs) and lessons learned to
1: you know i actually work for an amazing company right now called mycharge and um we do portable power for um uh like you know they're basically external batteries for cell phones um you know ipads computers i mean you name it uh a wonderful company based out of Detroit, Michigan. Um, and I've been with them actually since the day I, uh, sold boogie wipes and it's been just a whirlwind. They're a great company, very, very quick growth company too. And I do all of their marketing. I'm the VP of marketing there. Um, so that's, uh, one thing that's my charge. And then of course, because of my entrepreneurial spirit, I actually, um, have, uh, and this is funny, I'll be practical about this. Uh, I have another friend who her and I together collectively have started, you know, kind of another project and it's a product that we have not brought to market, but that we have patent filed patents on and it is called Go Hit the Wall and you can actually go check it out at GoHitTheWall.com. Um, but it's really just a, it's a sports equipment that it's basically a rebound and impact net that people have in their yards if you have lacrosse players or soccer players or um, football players, you're always you know throwing a ball against the net in the yard. you have to move it to mow your grass. You've got to do all these things. We actually developed a way to attach it to garage door rails and have it go up and down and pivot so that when you want to play with it, you just pull it down like your garage door. You play inside out, outside in. you so you can play in the rain. and when you're done with it, you just push it back up. And we were able to patent the technology, and um it has not gone to market yet, but, of course, you know, even though I, you know, I definitely have a job that I love and I'm doing this on the side, of course, I'm always going to be an entrepreneur at heart and look for other products to bring to market. So it's been fun.
0: Go hit the Yeah. Julie Pickens, thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah. Thank you for having me.